0: So we are continuing today uh, these core values that I've been talking about. The last couple weeks and today as well, I've been talking about core values. Next week we start a new message series, so please be back for that as well too. But we've been talking about our core values. And when I say that core values, you might have a, a multitude of different thoughts with that. But what we mean by that is... We have a group of things that when we were starting this church that God gave us and said, we need you to be like this. That's what God basically said to us, right? We need you to have this DNA. We need you to to do ministry in this way, to act like this, because that's what's going to reach the people who you're called to reach. So our core values are kind of like the DNA that God asked us to have so that we could reach our community. So if you're part of Acts Church, this is important because it's kind of finding out what's what's our DNA, how do we do what we do, and why do we do it. It's important, our values. For any of you guys, it's really important you think about what you value most in life because you can't evaluate the success of your life if you don't have values. That's what evaluate means, is compare the current situation to the values you have, the things you value. So that's why we've been talking about these, and, and we'll continue throughout the rest of this year. Basically, sporadically, I'll be doing some of these. By the end of the year, you'll see all of our core values. So let me ask you a question. How many of you guys have ever been lost? Lost. Could be in a car, could be out in the woods walking, lost, okay? How many of you guys, just real quick, because I have to explain this, how, how many people are in here who are 16 or under? Raise your hand real quick. 16 or under? We have some? Okay couple right there was a time in which we didn't carry a gps in our back pocket at all times (laughs) believe it or not because i know in your mind you're like wait how could you be lost you just pull out your iphone and you put in the address and it tells you how to get there right there was a time in which people did not have a gps on them at all times there was a time in which people didn't have a gps in their car at all times and if you were lost you were just that lost You had to drive around until you found somebody or something that was familiar to be able to reorient yourself and get back to where you were. Lost is an interesting feeling, kind of a terrifying feeling, to be honest with you. There's a difference between that moment when you're lost and then when you really realize you're lost. And you know when that is? It's when you tried to fix your lostness and you realize that you're no better than when you started. Like when you're lost and you think, well, I'll go up this block, then I'll turn down this block and I'll find something, and then you do it and you're like, I'm just as lost as when I started. And then the panic begins to set in, because what I tried to do to fix this did not work. What am I going to do? There was, uh, there was this time back when I was uh, in high school, at the end of my high school uh, career, um, my sister is three years older than me, and she got really into uh, into music scene, and and some of her friends did as well, and they would want to go to these concerts up by Chicago, all over the place, right? And for some reason, even though I was younger, I was like the young, I was like 18 at the time, or 17 or something, I would be the one who would drive, okay? Because I was the guy, I guess, so all the time it'd be like me and a few other people, and in my sister's janky old Dodge Neon that was, I mean, it was hardly, hardly a car, right? Rattling, rust all over it. But, but we would drive to these concerts all over it. And there was one time we were coming back from this concert, I think somewhere up by Chicago, but we were coming back and it was, it was really late after, you know, one of those late shows. So you don't get done until like, you know, 11 or midnight at the show and then you're driving back. So it's plenty after midnight, it's into the morning. And I took this wrong town, I mean this wrong turn, and found myself in a town I didn't want to be in, and in a neighborhood I did not want to be in. I was driving, and you know, all of a sudden, like, I looked around at just the buildings and stuff, and like, the activity, and I was like, I don't want to be here. This is not, this is not where I was going. And in fact, as an 18-year-old kid, this is getting really, really scary, right? All of a sudden, I'm like, this is not where i wanted to be i'm not apparently on the road i thought i was on um and this is kind of getting freaky and of course i have these my sister and like two of her girlfriends in like the back of it one of which is completely oblivious to the realities of society right there's like oh well there's that group of guys standing up on the corner just pull over and ask them directions <laughs> i'm like you never get out of the car you don't stop i'm like screaming back over shoulders like. We are not stopping and asking someone for directions. That's a great way to get stabbed tonight. Lost is okay. Stabbed, not so much. (laughs) So I was getting a little terrified, right, driving around, because I thought I could fix it, and I would drive and realize I am just as lost as when I started to try to fix it. And I was getting pretty freaked out, to be honest with you, this young, you know, 17, 18-year-old kid, and all of a sudden, I see lights behind me, red and blue, a cop, pulling me over. And I'm like, as if this night could get any worse. All right, great. This cop walks up to the window. I pull it down. He looks at me and goes, you don't belong here. (laughs) And I said, yes, sir, you are correct. He says, you're lost. And I said, yes, I am. I said, I was trying to get here, and I got here. And he says, yeah. He says, looking at this car and you guys in here, he says, you don't belong in this neighborhood and definitely not at this time of night. He says, you need to get out of here. And I said, well, I'm trying to get to here, to this spot. And he says, well, don't worry. He says, I'm kind of going that direction. Just follow me, and I'll take you back. You can get on this road, and and you can head out. And I was never so relieved as to follow this cop and have him take me back so I could get on this interstate and get out of there. So relieved. The feeling of being lost, it can be absolutely terrifying because you try and try to make it better, and it's not getting any better. That's when you really know You're lost, and it's scary. For all of us who've been lost, or maybe even just for a split second, if any of you are parents who have lost a child for even just like that two seconds, and your heart stops, and you think, I'm going to die? That lost feeling is is terrifying, and it's interesting because um, there's been... Comparisons in regards to that to our, to our faith. There was this, this man named John Newton. Now, not Wayne Newton, for any of you guys who grew up through the was it 70s or 80s, right? Not Wayne Newton, he's a great singer, but John Newton. And this man was a boat captain in the 1700s. Actually, he was a boat captain for the slave trade in the 1700s from over in England. And he was traveling across the ocean, close getting back to port when this terrible, terrible storm hit. And he awoke to the reality that the boat had a hole in it. It was leaking and filling up, and it was going to sink. And he had this epiphany of realization of the fact of how bad of a man he was, how bad the situation was, and that there was no way he could fix it. And he called out to God in that moment and said, God, if you, if you save me from this, I promise you I'll dedicate the rest of my life to you. And he said that the, the wind turned, the boat shifted, storage that they had down in the, in the holds of the boat slid and stopped the hole in the boat. The winds died just enough for them to get it under control. And by the time they made it back to port in a few more days, he had dedicated his life to Jesus. He was both saved from that storm and he was saved as far as his, his heart and his soul. After that, he got extremely passionate about righting the wrongs he had. He actually became an abolitionist who fought against the slave trade because he realized his error. And after a while, he wrote what is probably the most recognizable, the most popular hymn of all time called Faith's Review in Expectation, which most of us just know is Amazing Grace. In it, in one of the very first lines, he describes this. this this experience with faith in these words, and I think it's so perfect. He says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. When John looked over his, his life and, and what all had happened, he says, if I'm to put a feeling with it, if I'm to put a, an emotion with it, if I'm to put an experience with it, it's like that feeling of being lost where you don't know how to fix the problem you currently sit in, where you can't get back to where you want to be, where you're kind of getting hopeless because you don't know how to fix it. And when I met Jesus, it was like someone finding me and leading me back to what I needed. And I love that song. It's actually my favorite hymn of all time. I enjoy it so much. And I love the interpretation of it, but I believe that there's kind of one twist on it for us as a church. I believe that that we're lost... And then once we're found by God, once we're found and we're led to a place where we are, we are back to the place we need to be, back to that relationship, we immediately have a realization in our mind that there are so many others who are still lost. So what we say is, as far as our core value, Acts is not lost to found, it's lost to finding. Not lost to found, lost to finding. We say it like this, the end goal isn't simply to have a relationship with Jesus, it's to help others start a relationship with Jesus, too. We believe that every person can become a great example of Jesus by going through our discipleship process. Now, why do we believe this? We have these core values, but every one of them has to have a foundation that we can, that we can trace back to, right? You know, If there's a core value, it has to be rooted in something. But when we look to the Bible, we see the reality of this, that, that this idea of being lost to finding, and the, the idea of the lost, that it is so present in God's word, it's crazy. We see the fact that when we look at Jesus, when we look at the God of the Bible, we see this, this fixation on the lost. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 19.10, talking about himself. He says, the Son of Man, which is a title that he used for himself, came to seek and to save those who are lost. He says, "Let me just spell it out for you," and he he says it really, really clear to people. The reason why I'm here is to seek and save those who are lost. But what's interesting is Jesus doesn't just just say something like that, which is great. You know, we should be able to trust that. But there was another time where he was sitting talking to people, and he really explained what this looks like. He says, "I want you to make sure that you you understand what I'm passionate about, what my father's passionate about, what what we're." all about. And he tells this story in Luke 15, verses 1-7. through 7. If you have a Bible you want to turn there, if you want to look at the side screens. He tells this story because he interacts with these, these religious leaders, the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law. You've got to figure these guys knew everything about the Old Testament, but they couldn't stand Jesus because it didn't look the way that they thought it should look. It says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners, I love the fact that we got some notorious sinners in our community here, often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And that's a specific statement because especially in that culture at that time, sitting down to eat with somebody was like saying, we're, we're family. We're family if we eat together. And they said they would never, ever sit down to eat with somebody who's a sinner. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost... What will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for that one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, look at this, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus says, let me tell you something. that It's kind of shocking. Let me tell you a story that will kind of surprise you. He's just like that guy would leave 99 to go find that one. He says, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who returns than over 99 who have never left. Listen to me, friends. The God of the Bible, Jesus, is obsessed with the lost. Obsessed with the lost. I mean, a disproportionate interest in the lost. That he says that heaven rejoices louder when one person returns than when 99 stay in place. Does that itch a little bit if you're a Christian? I mean, if you have a relationship with Jesus, does that kind of rub you wrong a little bit? That one sinner that comes home makes you happier than 99 of us who don't? Feel that way, that's your religion, and that's okay, we can work on that. <laughs> Jesus goes on to tell two more parables on the backside of this, as if to make sure that you're not going to miss this. He doesn't tell one story, he tells three stories back to back. This almost never happens in Jesus' teaching. This means he's trying to make such a point and drive it home. It's like when you're a parent and you say the same thing over and over and over again. And they're like, I heard you the first time. you're like, yeah, you're going to hear it 10 more times. (laughs) Going to make this point stick, right? (laughs) Jesus tells three stories back to back. After telling the story of a lost sheep and 99 who stayed, he says, or I could tell it like this. It's a woman who has 10 coins. She loses one. She turns the whole house upside down sweeps every corner, lights a candle, finds that coin, and when she does, she calls her friends and says, come celebrate with me because I found my lost coin. He says, it's like this. it's tells another story with it. He says, it's like a man who had two sons. One of them was this great son who kept working. The other one came, said, I want my inheritance now. Took his money, ran off, disappeared, blew every cent on fast living. And then someday he finally came to his senses and he walked back home and the story is that that father takes and he celebrates that son that came home he kills the fatted calf he said we're gonna have a party because my lost son is home and even the one who's been there the whole time he gets mad about it friends jesus tells three stories back to back to let us know without a shadow of a doubt he says we god the father god the holy spirit myself are obsessed with those who are lost We can't let go. We keep fighting for him, keep searching for him. He said, he tells three parables, look at this. Whether the ratio is one out of two, one out of ten, or one out of a hundred, my eyes fall on the one that's lost. My focus falls on that one who still needs me, who walked away and needs to be brought home. As I said, there is a disproportionate focus on the lost by our God. He is obsessed with those who are lost. We see this so clear in, in Jesus as he walks through his life, how he focuses his time, how he focuses his ministry, and even this is what's so amazing, how he calls his disciples. We talked about this a little bit two weeks ago, and we talked about average people making Jesus famous, but Jesus is going out to pick the men who he's going to make part of his team to do the most important task of all time, to spread the truth about, about his life, about his sacrifice. And I need you to listen to this. This is the very first disciples he picks out, okay? As he goes and he gets Peter and Andrew and he calls to them as they're fishing on a sea. And listen to this calling that he shouts out to them in Matthew four eighteen through 20. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they were brothers. Excuse me, for they were fishing, they were fished for a living. Yeah, jump back there. Jesus called out to them, and listen to this this is what I want you to catch. Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and they followed him. And here's what I want you to see out of this verse, okay? We already talked about two weeks ago about how these men were commercial fishermen, right? Stinky, hard day-in, day-out, right, kind of guys. And when Jesus calls them, I mean, the master teacher, Jesus was. He understood how to communicate with people so well. He decides that when I'm going to call them, I'm going to use a fishing analogy, right? I'm going to make this so they get it. I'm not going to say some sort of high language. I'm just going to put it right like they understand it. I'm going to use a fishing analogy to get them to understand what coming and following me would be like, which is great. It makes perfect sense. But I think if we were honest, we would not expect the fishing analogy that Jesus picked. If we were honest, I think that we would think that Jesus would say, come follow me and I will show you how to clean yourself like a fish being prepared for market. How to cut that sin out of your life, how to take those ugly scales off the outside of you, how to prepare yourself to go and meet God, right? Come with me and I'll show you how to to clean yourself for market. Or maybe we think that he would say, come with me and I will show you how to mend your nets. That was a big thing with these fishermen. Every day they'd have to come back in and they'd have to fix the nets so they could go out and fish again. We think maybe Jesus would say, come follow me and I'll show you how to fix the nets of your life, right? How to fix the scenario so that you can live an abundant life, you can live a blessed life, you don't have problems anymore, that everything seems to work out, that you have gain, you have enough money, you have enough resources. Come with me and I'll show you how to fix those nets. Maybe he would say, come with me and I'll show you how to take yourself off the hook. All of you guys are caught up in sin and you need freedom and come with me and I'll show you how to remove the hook from your mouth to remove that addiction to those things in this world, to those substances, to those peoples, to those experiences, whatever it is you're struggling with that you can't get out of your life, right? Come with me. I'll show you how to pull the fish hook from your mouth. Or maybe you'd say, come with me and I will show you, I will teach you how to understand how the fish breathes under the water. How to understand the deepest concepts of spirituality. How to understand faith like never before. How to understand God's word. How to know him so closely, right? Come with me and I will show you just these, these unimaginable depths. How the fish would breathe underwater. Yet Jesus uses none of these fishing analogies. The one that Jesus chooses as he calls his disciples, at the very first call, he shouts out to them, Come with me. And I will show you how to fish for men. Come with me, and I will show you that your life has greater calling than throwing a net into water. You are meant to save those who are lost and bring them back to relationship with God. Friends, when Jesus calls to the disciples, his primary, his very first calling is the same calling that falls to every one of us who are Christians. That the initial calling for every one of us is not From lost to found, it is lost to finding. It is going from a place of not knowing how to find yourself to saying not only are you found, but then you realize there are so many more that are lost and you step into a life that's directed to leading others back to where they need to be. Acts Church is not lost to found. It's lost to finding. Now, how would all this work? You say, is this some sort of like cosmic pyramid scheme, Right? Some of you guys are like, I know multi level marketing. I've been involved in one. My brother still has $1,000 of mine, right? Mm-hmm. This is a pyramid scheme, right, Cameron? You're going to tell me. I tell three people. Those three people tell three people. They tell three people. By the end of the month, we got 144000 right? Perfect. Got it. No, it's not a pyramid scheme, it's not a sales scheme, it's not an arguing scheme. I think that Jesus explains it perfect as he's sending his disciples out for the very first time. He takes these men, he lets them walk with them, watch how he serves the people around him, how he meets their physical needs at the time, especially it was a lot of healing. God was using the Holy Spirit to heal people through them because at the time, I mean, health care was not really existent. People were sick, they needed help, and God would do supernatural things to meet their physical needs that they were presently suffering with to go and share the, the gospel, the idea that the kingdom of God was here. And listen how, how Jesus explains it to them before he sends them out on their own for the very first time in Matthew 10, 7 through 8. He says, Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. That means that the Spirit of God is right here, that the presence of God, his grace, his mercy, everything, it's right here. He says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Look at this last line. Give as freely as you've received. He says, if I'm to explain what it's like, what I want you to do from here, it's not a sales strategy. It's not marketing. It's not going out and arguing with people. He says, I just need you to give as freely as you've received. If we were to put a word on this, you know the simple word we would choose? Sharing. Sharing. It's that thing we try to teach our kids, like the very first thing we try to teach them, right? Because every single kid, you never have to teach them the word mine, do you? It's Just naturally in them. Mine, you don't get to touch it, right? And we have to teach them, no, you can't be like that, you have to share. The things that you love, the things that are yours, you're supposed to be a person who shares, even though it's yours and even though you have the right to say it's mine that you go to other people who would also enjoy it, and you say, here, you can use this too. It's sharing. That's what it is. He says, listen, as you go out and you begin to, to change the world, as you go out and begin to share this message, it's not about having a perfect argument. It's not about having a great sales strategy. It's just about sharing what you've experienced. Friends, I hate the fact that in Christianity, so often it seems as though it's a sales pitch. That's never how it's supposed to be. Friends, if you're a believer, you are not a used car salesman for Christ. You are not. You are not called to find somebody and bring them in and try to say, well, look at this, look at this part here, here's the positives. Don't look at this side over here that has some dents in it. You're not going to like that part yet. Oh, it does run great, transmission slips a little bit right. None of that. Trying to hide the things they won't like trying to show off the things they do like, trying to put them in it, right? Oh, you look good in that car. You look good as a Christian. You know, your stuff figured out. You'd be so good at this, right? Friends, that's not who we are. We are not a used car salesman. Here's who we are. We are the person who went to a new car dealership. And as we walked in and were looking at cars which we could not afford the man who owned the car dealership threw us a set of keys and said, you know what, it's on the house. And you know what, friend, actually, I'm going to give a free car to everybody else who comes in today. But I didn't tell anybody, you're the only one who knows. Friends, as Christians who've experienced the salvation of Jesus, it's as though someone gave us a free gift we never could, just like that person. And if you were in that position where they said, here's a free car, anybody who comes in in the next 24 hours gets a free car too. I don't care who it is. What would you do? You would grab your phone in half a second, wouldn't you? You'd be calling your wife, calling your husband, calling your kids, calling your mom, calling your father, calling your uncle. You have to get over here. There's this crazy guy who's giving away free cars. You have to get down here right now. You'd be running out in the street, right, stopping people, waving people down. Stop. I know I sound like a crazy person. This guy's giving away free cards. You have to go and check it out. Friends, that's who we are as Christians. That we have been giving such a glorious gift freely that we could never deserve. That then he says, go and share. That we become just lit on fire of saying, I know that it sounds crazy. I know you wouldn't believe that somebody would have paid for all that nasty stuff you did in your life. I know you wouldn't believe that there's an eternal life after this one. But come and see. Come and see. Because when you get there, you're going to realize there's a great gift waiting for you. Friends, that's who we are as Christians. We don't sell Christianity, we don't argue Christianity, we share Christianity. We have the greatest news in the world. The word gospel, when you hear that, you know what that means? Literal translation, good news. That's what it is. Good news that a God already paid for 100% of your sin. Good news that there's a God who doesn't say, figure all this out and maybe I'll let you in. Try to work off your karmic debt. Try to make ends meet. Try to be able to figure this out. Maybe, just maybe, you'll never really know, you might make it to heaven. That we serve a God that says, you trust in me. I paid for everything. You have confidence knowing it's not by your strength, it's by mine. The day you pass from this life, you pass into eternity with me. Friends, if Jesus has changed your life, you have to share it with others or you are, and I'll just say it, selfish. Selfish. Now, it might not feel like that in your heart right now, right? It might not feel that way right now, but I'm telling you, with such great news, if you're unwilling to share it, there's a selfishness inside of you. It might be personifying itself as fear. It might be personifying itself as not knowing enough and feeling unsure. It might personify itself as not wanting to be in people's business. But at the root of that is a selfishness that you love either your comfort, your personal space, your reputation, more than you love that gift. It's selfishness. We have to spread the good news. Acts Church is not lost to found. It's lost to finding. Now what that means for us as a church is that we have a disproportionate focus on those who are lost, just like God. It means that we have an obsession with the lost, just like God. Sometimes Christians will come into our church and they'll say, I don't understand some of the things you do, and I'll say, that's okay, because this church isn't actually crafted for you to be comfortable. It's crafted for people who are lost to be comfortable I don't understand why you play music that isn't Christian before service. That's because it's meant to be that people come in who've never listened to Christian music say, I know this song, I'm comfortable in this place. You see, for the Christian coming in who says, I don't understand this, I say, it's okay if you don't understand because I get to have a second conversation with you. For the lost person who comes in to try it for the first time, I don't. They just leave. I don't get a second conversation with them to explain why we do what we do. We have an obsession with the lost. And that's why you'll even notice in our teaching, sometimes people who are these mega-Christians, right, who'd be part of a church, I understand sometimes it seems like all you talk about is the gospel. Yep. (laughs) You caught me. You got us. We are passionate about the gospel. A lot of our messages throughout the year are focused on people who are lost, who are coming in. It means that our hope for you isn't simply for you to go from lost to found. That our passion is to give you the knowledge, the information, the confidence, the drive, the grit to go and find. To go and find as well. It means that we have discipleship strategies set in place. We have what we call our growth track. You look to your right over here on the wall, there's a whole bunch of these uh, what do they call those? Banners, there you go, hanging on the wall. Loved, saved, educated, trusted, released. That's our discipleship strategy. It's the same one Jesus used. That's where we got it. We're not that smart. We just steal everything from him. (laughs) We believe that discipleship starts with being loved. Most churches always start their processes at saved. We don't believe that. We believe there's lots of people who come to our church. You might be the person right now. You say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're on the discipleship strategy because our first step is just simply to love people. That's what Jesus did. Then when that moment comes when the Holy Spirit shifts something in our minds, when he he touches our lives, that we're there to offer the truth of salvation. That we give education, we share messages which encourage your faith, give you the tools you need. But not only that, we want you to have opportunity to use the giftings God has given you. And that's where trusted comes in. We have opportunities for people to serve on weekends, to participate and be part of what we do, to use the things they care about. That's why you'll always see invites on your seats when we're starting new message series to give you the tools in your hands to begin to go and do stuff, that we trust you to do the ministry with us. And the last step in it is released. And no churches want to talk about this, but we're passionate about it. I wholeheartedly believe there's people inside of our church right now that this isn't the last step in your faith. I love Acts Church. I pray that you're here for a long time. God might very well call you to something else, whether it's here inside of Illinois, the United States, or whether it's overseas. Don't think that even in a church this size, there aren't some of you who are actually called to go and do ministry abroad. There are. That there aren't people who actually are called to maybe go and be another pastor who plants another church, just like we did here someday soon. Whatever it is God has for you, we want you to be able to find that calling and help release you into it. That's what we had to step into. And honestly, we weren't given the things that I wish we could give other people as they go and they're released. Friends, we don't believe in lost to found. We believe in lost and finding. And it says it right there in our core value. We believe that everyone, 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 everyone can be a great example of Christ. None of you, no matter how unconfident you are of yourself, no matter how much you have these insecurities that you think, it wouldn't be me though, it wouldn't be me though, it's you. It's you, friend. That God is taking you from a place of of that, that circling and trying to figure out what it is and trying to understand because you've been so lost, but not just that he's leading you home, he's leading you to a place to go and find. What it means, friend, is this. Every one of you have people who surround you in life who are lost. Every one of you have people who are in your life that only you are going to be able to reach. People who I'm never going to be able to reach. The person sitting next to you is ever going to be able to reach. And that you don't just go from lost to found, but when you get found, you realize that there are so many who are still driving up and down streets looking for an answer. And that you get to pull up alongside them and say, hey, you don't belong here, do you? Just like that cop said to me that night. You don't belong here, do you? You don't want to be here, do you? Come follow me and let me show you how to get back to where you need to be. That every, every single one of us is meant to take that step. To realize that there are so many who are lost and hurting in faith who wish that they knew that there was an answer and that is where we come in. That is why every one of us is called to finding friends. That is why so many of you So many of you have walked through your life trying to get education or get things or get success, and every time you've succeeded or moved forward, you still feel empty and unsatisfied. It's because you were meant for a higher calling than recreate, procreate, and terminate. Friends, Jesus called to the very first disciples and the first word he spoke to them is, come with me and become fisher of men. And I'm telling you, friends, for a lot of you, the reason why you've never found satisfaction in your life is because you have a higher calling on your life than living for today. That every one of you has a calling on your life to go from not just lost to found, but lost to finding, where you say, I am a finder. That the job you work, that the school you're going to, those are details. That's second tier. What's my calling with my life? First and foremost, I'm a finder. Yes, second, I'm an I'm a engineering builder. Second, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Second, I'm an office worker. But the reason why I do that is because it funds my primary calling in my life. I'm a finder. I go and I look for people who are lost. And when I find them, I pull alongside them and say, come follow me. I'll show you how to get back where you need to be. Not lost to found, lost to finding. Pray with me. God, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Lord, not just for salvation, uh, because that is great, the fact that you find us in our lost state and you bring us to being found. But then, God, that you... You love us so much that you don't stop there. You say, come and work with me to lead those who are lost back to relationship. God, I can't even comprehend the fact that you use us, though we're so broken and so messed up and don't have stuff figured out, yet you, you make us part of your rescue mission. God, I pray for the person who maybe is still lost today, who's still lost and... and feels as though they're driving up and down streets. I pray that right now you would send your Holy Spirit just to find them. That this message might have clarified the fact that you did all the work for them. That your death on the cross was paying for all the all the failures in their life and that if they trust in you that they can be completely reconciled to you, Jesus, and be found. And if it's you that you would just say in your mind right now, just the quiet of your heart, God, I'm sorry. Thank you for dying in my place. Please become my Lord. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit is just instantly going to come into your life. You're going to feel him fill you and give you breath. And God, for those who are found today, who realize that they are meant to be finding, I pray that you would just, Lord, you would inject fire into their bones, God just a fire of looking at their world and realizing that they are meant to be finders, that they are meant to be people who look up and down these streets looking for those who are lost and leading them home. God, I pray that you would give us the confidence, the courage, Lord, the ability that we could bring these lost people home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.